Well, when we think of Parkinson's disease, perhaps names such as Muhammad Ali or Michael J. Fox may come to mind, but in reality, 115,000 Canadians have been diagnosed with the neurological disorder, 10 million people around the world. That number having doubled in just 25 years, it's expected to double again by 2040. In fact, it is the fastest growing neurological disorder on the planet, and it does not discriminate by gender, sex, ethnicity, age, or geography. Up to 10% of people with Parkinson's are diagnosed in their 40s or younger, and there is no cure. Well, today is World Parkinson's Day, a time to raise awareness of Parkinson's disease and promote greater understanding of the condition and how it can affect people. A new documentary today called The Long Road to Hope, Ending Parkinson's, has been released. Here's a short excerpt of the trailer, and the male voice you'll hear at the end is Larry Gifford, and he, I'm fortunate enough to say, is my next guest. I would say, get better soon, and I will help you find a medicine soon so you can feel better. My children kind of don't know mom any different. My psychiatrist gave me some really good advice, which is basically like, your daughter doesn't know about this, and she needs you to be her mom. That's your job right now is to be her mom. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know if I was going to die. I didn't know if I was going to be of any use to my industry anymore. Like, am I going to get fired from my job? Like, how does that work? What happens now? Like, all of our plans that we had just seemed to, like, go poof. And joining me now with more on his diagnosis, the impact, and his ongoing fight to raise awareness about Parkinson's is Larry Gifford, National Director of Talk Radio here at Chorus, but perhaps more importantly today, the founder of PD Avengers, or the Global Alliance to End Parkinson's, and host of the When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast. Larry, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Great to have you here. Uh, Great to be here, Ben. Thank you. I guess the, I mean, just listening to you describe the poof in that clip. Tell me a bit about, about that moment, because I think like all of us as men, I didn't go to the doctors in my thirties. It didn't matter what was wrong with me. Um, I guess that, that, that too was, was similar in your case. You didn't know what was wrong until you found out until you were told. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been collecting symptoms for probably seven or eight years. Uh, I didn't know it. Um, I just thought I was getting old or I was out of shape. And so my, you know, it was harder to stretch out in the morning and it was, my, my, my gait was off. So I was walking kind of funky and I just thought maybe I had extra weight on and, you know, you just make excuses for things uh, and your body compensates for a lot of it without you knowing it. And so it wasn't until I had a tremor that my son noticed was spilling water while I was trying to hand it to him. And he said, Hey dad, well, why are you shaking so much? And I said, I don't know. And he said, shouldn't you go to the doctor? And yeah, I, I was not really keen on doctors at that point. I now I, they're my best friends. <laughs> I have I have a collection of doctors. <laughs> so so you go to the doctors. Um, I, I can't imagine. I, I'm sure at at you know in in my early 40s or yeah, we're about the same age. I would never have imagined that the words Parkinson's would ever be uttered. Well, no, and. And frankly, when it happened, I didn't know what it meant. Like, I mean, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, Michael J. Fox, but like, like I, I honestly, I like most people, it's just like, well, it's like a tremor, right? It's no, it's so much more than a tremor. Um, it's a, a full body disease. Like they, they, they've been calling it a movement disorder for a long time. And, and that's beginning to change into a whole body disease because, while there, there are, you know, things that, you know, the, the, the lack of dopamine uh, is causing motor issues within your body. So your brain doesn't talk to the rest of your body 
as quickly um, as it should. So like it starts usually on one side and can go over to the other side to have both sides, but usually it starts on one side where you're like, for me, my left side was, was faster than my right side. So I couldn't coordinate things. I kept running into inanimate objects. I was couldn't throw a frisbee because I couldn't release it on time. I couldn't go bowling because I didn't. I couldn't get the rhythm down. Like all these things that we've been doing for years with my son, suddenly we I wasn't able to do it. Even typing or eating, my body, you know, without me realizing it, started doing everything with my left hand, and my right hand just didn't do anything. How do you, I mean, how do you come to terms with those changes? Well, it's scary uh, because then when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's and realized that it's a, you know, neurological disorder that's degenerative and progressive, which is, you know, you love those words um, and there's no cure. um, You, you begin to go, so, so this is the best it gets and it's downhill from here. And that's not really the case. That's not not linear that way. So you have good moments, you have bad moments. Like every day, like I can feel great. I can feel like I don't have Parkinson's. I can forget about it for a minute. It'll always come back and remind me. Uh, but it's it's because the medication is so up and down. Like for me, I take medication every two and a half hours, but it only lasts in my system. You know, depending on how much is absorbed in the last dose. Uh, uh, you know maybe an hour 45 or two hours. So there's a half hour, 45 minutes there where I'm like coming off my medicine. And that's what I get. They call it being off. Um, and that's when you see people that are maybe uh, you've seen Michael J. Fox where he's kind of, you know, sort of jerking around and stuff. That's, that's not the disease. That's the lack of, it's the effects of dopamine, uh, the dopamine replacement, which is uh, uh, levodopa, carbidopa. Right. And so the, the medication, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, so it's called dyskinesia and, and I get that as well. Um, and, and, but the, you know, the medicine's 50 years old, so we, we really need to find some, some new and, and, and better treatments. I mean, it does a great job, but it's, you know, it's not, you know, for it being the gold standard, I can't imagine there's another disease out there that's still relying on a drug that they just, you know, started using 50 years ago. You've pointed this out today. Uh, elsewhere, but I didn't realize that A, this was discovered 205 years ago and B, we still diagnose it the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Dr. Dr. Parkinson um, observed people walking and, and, and the way that they uh, tremored and the, you know, the way the rigidity in their arms and legs and, you know, sort of the frozen face, the facial features and, um, and when I got diagnosed, it was, you know, they were observing me, they were having me walk up and down the hall and they were having, they were having me put my fingers, like my forefinger to my thumb to see if I could do that. And that's actually where I, I, I started crying during the exam. You don't do that in real life where you took, take your thumb and your forefinger and you see how fast you can tap them together. I have no reason to do that in everyday life. Well, my left hand was fine. I couldn't do it with my right hand even once. And it was just like, I, uh, why can't I make my hand do that? Because your brain's telling you it can, right? Yeah, because I didn't have enough dopamine to relay the message. Because if you have dopamine is a happy drug, we know. But it, its other purpose, which is actually more important than releasing you know, happy you know, chemicals in your brain, 
is it's it's the so what I call the oil to to run the messages through your body. You release dopamine, and then your brain can begin to talk to the different parts of your body for movement. And if you don't have any, or you have very little, uh, then you can't move, which is why people end up what they call freezing, which is like middle of the street, or they, I freeze at an airport going through the, the security because it's a tight space and there's a lot of people watching and I get anxious and then I just freeze. And then they're like trying to pull me across, which is the wrong way to approach it. I just need to sort of shift my thinking and like shuffle sideways or, you know, get out of it. But you, you, you like, I've, I've been there at security for like three to five minutes where I like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just, I've got Parkinson's. And I just need a few minutes because I'm frozen right now. I guess you become, I mean, you almost by nature have to become an advocate because I realized even just reading up today, how little I knew about Parkinson's and I gather it's just one of those things. People don't know a lot about it, yet it it is remarkably common. As a, it's it, there's a lot of people out there with Parkinson's, and people and very few people know much about it. Yeah, isn't that strange? I mean, yeah, it was the fact that it's been around since you know 1817 uh, officially. I mean, it's you can find cases uh, beforehand, but it wasn't uh, there wasn't documented uh, by a journal until 1817, um, and they, they've. They didn't discover. If you ever saw the movie, um, uh, uh, the with Robin Williams, and it would it was um, oh not Patch it, Adams, no, no, the, no, no. Uh, it's I, the, it's the, yeah. he's actually it's um, uh, Awakenings. Awakenings, right? And that's all about the discovery of levodopa. Right. Okay. And it's a fascinating movie. Unfortunately, I watched it the day I was diagnosed, not knowing what it was. <laughs> really. Yes. I have to confess I've never seen it, but really? Yeah, um, no, no. It's I mean, it's all about these people that they put into a hospital in the 40s and 50s, 60s, where they, they were just comatose. And then once they got the drug in them, they were like new, like normal. Wow. Uh, but they didn't know how much to give. And, and, and it's about the story of the doctor who, who gave them like 18 times the amount that, that was recommended. And that's what it was. So like... You know, for me, it takes a, it, um, um, everybody's different. So that's the problem with Parkinson's as well as you can't, there's no standard treatment. Like they start everybody off at one pill, but like, I'm a big guy. And, you know, depending on, uh, you know, what your diet is and how much you exercise and, you know, the absorption rate in your body. And, uh, like if I'm up to now 16 pills a day, uh, just of the levodopa, and then I'll take another six to eight of other drugs to counter other symptoms every day. Larry, I really want to ask about all the work you've done since, uh, and how you, you, you've sort of taken this, this diagnosis head on and started this podcast and joined PD Avengers and done all this work. And, and we'll just take a, a very brief, uh, step away. And, uh, after this, we'll talk a bit more about, about all the work you've done to try to raise your awareness, specifically today on World Parkinson's Day. We'll be back. We're speaking with David George Haskell. He's a writer and biologist. His latest book, Sounds Wild and Broken, explores the story of sound on Earth, looks at the diversification and emergence of sound and the loss of the world's sounds. I wanted to talk to you a bit about this fascinating uh, book that you wrote in 20, an earlier book that you, where you essentially observed a very small patch of land for a very, for a while, and then allowed you to see so much about 
uh, a much broader look <laughs> through that one little piece. What was the inspiration behind that? It's such a fascinating way of, of, of looking at something in such a, I mean, we could all essentially do that, right? We could all take mm-hmm. a little piece of land and, and then observe it for a while and see what we learned. Yeah. And my hope for the book is to inspire people to do that, whether you're living in a city or out in the countryside or wherever you are, through close and particularly repeated attention to one spot, you can go deep into the stories of that particular place. And, and in fact, I've done this with, with some, some trees say in New York City and in Denver, Colorado, where, where I returned again and again to a particular tree. And my second book, The Songs of Trees, was about that. But you know, coming back to the, the inspiration for this was partly I just wanted to go to the forest and without an agenda for a change. You know, as a teacher and as a scientist, I'm always bringing questions and lesson plans and things to the forest. And I seldom, I felt like I seldom walked into the forest just with open senses, without any expectation of this is what I'm going to see. This is what I'm going to think about now. So I picked this little patch of forest. It's a place I'd never seen before. I just wandered on January the 1st through the woods and found a flat rock. And then the area in front, you know, flat so that I could sit on it with some comfort. The area in front of that, just an area the size of a small dining room table, became my focus for observations through the year where I could open my senses to the place. And then the second motivation was to try through that process of opening my senses to the forest to try and learn a little bit more through direct experience rather than just reading stuff in textbooks or in scientific articles. In a, in a way, I was asking the forest to give me, you know, renew my sense of curiosity and in a way, give me a reading list to go to the library. Cause you know, I love reading books and about things and learning stuff, but here I wanted the forest to say, Oh yeah, you saw this ant or a caterpillar or a leaf, or you heard this sound, go and find out what that was and, and, and excavate some of the stories that are behind it. And then, you know, the book is trying to share both the stories and the experience of the, of observation. You did have one section of that where you sort of, you, where you're always sort of in wonderment at some of what is existing in front of you. And one of them is about resisting cold, which it turns out, as you point out, so pointedly humans are terrible at. We are. Yeah. I mean, without technological aids we're we're in we're in trouble and you know and so i went to the forest and just looking at the chickadees right and the, the titmice small very common birds and thinking about their life in in the forest and this was on a day when it was a pretty good wind chill i think it was down around zero or, or something like zero fahrenheit um or, or close to it and I, you know i was really feeling it through my coat and my scarf and i, I just well i'm gonna take all these clothes off and see what happens you know which is of course high school students to think that's very all very amusing as as you get older getting naked isn't quite so interesting anymore. but uh, you know on a cold day uh, i found that i could last a minute or two at most before my fingers started to go so numb, they weren't working. And my body was sort of beyond shivering. So there were all those bodily manifestations. But then then the thing that happened was my mind, in the back of my mind, there was this growing sense of alarm, that this is a very, very, not just anxiety, but some sort of deep dread, that this is a deeply problematic situation we're in here. And so you know, I put my clothes back on and then you know, got back home and, and warmed up and there, were, there was no problem with it. But Then the reflection is, I within two minutes, I was getting into this very bad state. These little chickadees, 
that are a fraction of the size and the weight of me make it through the forest all through the winter. And of course, chickadees, this was in Tennessee, which is a pretty mild winter compared to most places. Boreal chickadees are the way up there in, in, in the North Woods have an even, even bigger challenge. And all they have to fuel them, they don't have a supermarket, of course. They just find little spider eggs and, and, and uh, you know, pupae of caterpillars and, and, and things like that to feed this little furnace that keeps them going all the way through the winter. And so even though rationally, I can understand as a scientist, well, they've got insulation and, and they feed themselves a certain number of calories a day. And, and you know, some of them don't make it about half of the, certainly the young chickadees die every winter. Mm. So I, I knew all that, but after this experience, I felt it in my bones. What a crazy, crazy life cycle that they have. And I understood myself different. We're tropical creatures that have only recently, even cultures that have lived, say, in very cold areas for thousands of years, in terms of evolution, that's a blink of the eye that for most of human evolution, all human beings and all of our ancestors lived in the tropics or the subtropics. And our bodies are still that. And so our clothes and our houses and all that tech sewing technology is all about recreating. It's basically a subtropical environment underneath the coat. David Haskell, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. Great pleasure to be with you. Ever wondered what it's like to repossess an airplane? We'll meet someone who's been doing it for a living for decades after this. I'm happy to say that Larry Gifford has agreed to stay with us for the rest of the hour to talk a bit more about Parkinson's disease on today, World Parkinson's Day. Uh, Larry, of course, is the National Director of Talk Radio here at Chorus, but uh, also the founder of PD Avengers, or the Global Alliance to End Parkinson's. He has Parkinson's, and he's the host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a podcast. Uh, before the in the first half hour, we were talking a lot about the just the impact of the diagnosis, uh, the impact on one's body. Um, you know, as as Larry has called it, a frenemy for life. There is no cure to Parkinson's. I wanted to talk a bit more, if, if we can, at this point, about just some of the stuff you've been doing uh, to try to raise awareness, especially in the build up to this day. Uh, you took sure. part in a new documentary, and I was wondering what that was like to sort of share your story and also to see other people telling their stories. Because one thing that struck me is just how different each person's story is, despite the fact that obviously uh, you're living with the same diagnosis. Yeah, the, the documentary uh, showcases 12 people with Parkinson's, and it, it really is a, a, a perfect depiction of how we can all have Parkinson's, but we all have a different path. Um, and no one Parkin no nobody's Parkinson's is like anybody else. I, Michael J. Fox is famous for saying, if you've met one person with Parkinson's, you've met one person with Parkinson's. Um, and, and which is difficult because there's other, other diseases that you can get. And, you know, everybody has something and, and, uh, this just happens to be what I'm dealing with, but like the difference between this and, and most other diseases is there's a, there's a, a roadmap or a, a, we, we have treatment options, or we, we can go down this road, we can go down this road and here's what you should expect. There's, there's no rhyme or reason if I, I'm going to be a, you know, if I'm going to progress slow or fast, if I'm going to have, you know, no symptoms or some symptoms or a ton of symptoms. If it's going to be severe early, if it's going to be severe late or, or not at all, um, everybody is so different. And that's the frustrating part is you don't know what your, what your journey looks like. And you don't know, should I, should I hurry and travel now? Because I'm not going to be able to later, or should I, you know, it's, it, there's all these questions that come up and it, there's no answer. You just have to live your best life in the moment. 
when you I get, I gather we we used to think of Parkinson's as sort of an old person's disease. You know, you would picture sort of elderly people. I remember even I think from in like theater class a million years ago, someone pretending to you know someone acting as if they had Parkinson's, and it was always very old. Uh, and now we've realized that it's not at all um, an elderly necessarily an elderly person. In fact, it's much more indiscriminate than we ever thought it was. Well, and a lot of that has to do with how they conduct research. You know, right. uh, we're finding that, you know, white, old white men are willing to participate in research in the middle of the day when the scientific offices are open. <laughs> right. And so they've, they've not been, you know, treating, they've not been studying women and they've not been studying uh, people of color. And so now that they are, we're finding out that it, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are. I've got a friend that was diagnosed when they were seven years old. He's now 55. I mean, that's a long time been, to live with Parkinson's. That's a long time to live with Parkinson's. I was also surprised to read, and I, I didn't, I think you may have explained it to me at one point, but that there was still the same treatment other than maybe, I gather there's been some research on why exercise helps. Uh, but right. the same so, treat, the same medication, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So levodopa um, mm -hmm. is is the standard gold gold standard treatment, um, and they've created several ways to um, deliver it to to us. Uh, they keep inventing different ways to get it into our system faster, better. Um, you know, more more. You know, they change the coding, or they make it an inhaler, or they you know you you, you know, even there's home home remedies where if you need quick. Do dose, you can chew it up and drink some orange juice and rub it into your cheek. And you know, we all have our own tricks for, for trying to get it into our, you know, cross the blood brain barrier quicker. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's tough because the, the, the levodopa has to travel all the way to the lower intestine before it's absorbed and, and, and into the brain. Um, and so it, it's a long journey. And so you're not allowed to eat, you know, proteins, you know, a half hour or an hour before and not for two hours. Um, and so if you're taking pills every two and a half hours, that makes it challenge to find a time to eat proteins. Um, and yeah. cause the proteins will fight for that little window to go through, uh, to the vagus nerve to cross the blood brain barrier. And so if it takes too long to, to get there, it will absorb in the stomach and it, it will do you no good. You called. You said earlier that before the current pandemic, it had been referred to as the next pandemic. After the amount of time you've spent looking into it, do we have a better understanding of why it, there hasn't been more attention paid to it, considering the number of people who've been diagnosed with it and the severity of it? Well, I, there's there's conventional wisdom that uh, there are a lot of people who will say, "Well, at least you got Parkinson's. You're not going to." die from it, you'll die with it. Um, and which is really not a, if you think about it, that means, oh, so I get 30, 40 years of progressive degeneration and trapped in my body. That sounds more pleasant than death. Um, it, but it is actually, it, it can kill you. There are, every country you know, has statistics about the death rates. Every two and a half minutes in the world, somebody dies from Parkinson's. 
Now, um, and, and then you could also die because of complications of Parkinson's. Usually it has to do with swallowing because you have, that's an automatic function that we're typically used to doing that even, even I sometimes have trouble swallowing just like water or pills or, and then you, you, uh, sometimes you have trouble, uh, if you get sick, you, it's really easy for people with Parkinson's to, um, get, have it become pneumonia and it goes straight to your chest. And it, that's, uh, a lot of people die from that, which is why COVID has been a real big, 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 um, issue for the Parkinson's community. Um, and, um, you know, it's, but it doesn't seem as dire as the others. And, uh, I'm here to tell you that it, it is, it's dire because it affects so much in so many people. I mean, I, I can give you the numbers in the States off the top of my head for the financial impact, the burden it's $56 billion a year, uh, a Parkinson's burden on the government. And they only invest $275 million into research every year for it. Um, that that's, way off balance. And we need to do a lot better job around the world, including Canada, in investing in research for Parkinson's and, and really trying to get that same um, collective uh, global action that we had with, with COVID, where the governments reduced the red tape and the scientists and the research community worked together and the pharmaceutical companies worked with them. And we were able to, you know, really hit that head on uh, with, as, a, as a global force we need to do the same thing with Parkinson's and MS and ALS and all these other brain diseases. You did mention that, that, that despite the difficulties of the pandemic of, of COVID for people with Parkinson's, that it did at least inspire this idea that cures can be found if there is a will. Right. Like if, if they, they decided, you know, they wanted to end Parkinson's uh, from a federal standpoint or, or a global standpoint at the UN or the WHO, uh, then it will happen. Uh, now, I, I can tell you, I've been uh, part of a, a, a small panel of, of uh, on Parkinson's with the WHO, the World Health Organization. I, I wrote to them earlier this month, and they wrote me back because they still don't officially recognize World Parkinson's Day. Um, oh, and I, I wanted, you know, I was asking them to, um, but they are next next month. They are adopting. Um, a new policy, uh, a 10-year plan to address neurological uh, disease and the stigma that comes with it. And there are action items that are expected of every UN nation uh, over the course of the next 10 years uh, to meet certain minimum standards for how we treat people with neurological disorders. That must feel like a victory. I mean, the WHO yeah, is not, a, not an organization. Huge. It's not an organization that moves fast, the WHO, generally. No, no. And so it's, and, and to even get a letter back was one thing. And then you know, it's nice to, to know that that's, uh, that's moving forward. Uh, it was adopted in January. It'll be voted on and, and moved forward next month. Tell me a bit about today, because there's been a whole bunch of, there was some other stuff uh, put forward for today, including a new symbol, the spark, uh, the lightning bolt, which I guess is supposed to mean dopamine, but it means many things, doesn't it? It, it sure, sure does. Yeah. We, we, as, as an organization, the PD Avengers works with uh, 90 plus other Parkinson's groups and organizations around the world from like 83 different countries. And we, we've been working with them over the course of the last eight to 10 months. And we also have a, 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 a creative design firm out of Brooklyn uh, that has volunteered their time to work with us. We, we went through several iterations of different types of, of logos. We talked to the community about, you know, what in, inspires them. Uh, and we came down, we needed to come up with a universal logo that could, 
uh, without any words convey uh, energy and uh, uh, momentum or urgency and movement forward. Um, and lightning is a universal symbol. Um, you know, you see it every day on your iPhone. Uh, there's a lightning bolt that says, oh, you need to charge your battery or your battery's charging. Um, and it's, it's uh, for us, it, it was inspired by dopamine and the, the you know, the sparks uh, that happen in your brain, um, the lightning field that the brain is. And then uh, it also, we want to spark conversation about Parkinson's. We want to spark a movement uh, to, to, you know, get more research dollars to, to have people pay attention and, and recognize that, you know, if it, if it hasn't impacted you from like a friend or a family perspective yet, it's only a matter of time. The numbers would suggest with the doubling every 20 years or so that, that obviously it's become a bigger and bigger, almost of a, a pandemic, as you mentioned earlier, something that we would all have to face and at least learn how to, to, um, to better understand it, at least to begin with. I'm speaking with Larry Gifford. He's the national director of talk radio here at Chorus. Uh, but more importantly today, the founder of PD Avengers and the Global Alliance to End Parkinson's. He himself has Parkinson's and he's also the host of the When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast, which I highly recommend. It's very informative if you want to know anything more about it or, and hear people's stories too, just very, uh, you know, the sort of day-to-day -day life of, 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 of living with Parkinson's and what it means. Uh, after this, we'll, we'll talk a bit more just about what next for Larry and, uh, and just the satisfaction of raising awareness uh, about this and where this must go next for it to succeed. That's next. It's World Parkinson's Day today, and to mark it, we've been speaking with Larry Gifford. He's the National Director of Talk Radio here at Chorus Entertainment, uh, also the founder of PD Avengers, or the Global Alliance to End Parkinson's, and host of the When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast. Larry, uh, you, it must have changed you over the years. Do you see the difference in the way you approach life now than, than before? What, what impact has it had in terms of how you just approach the day to day and, and how you think about things? I can't, I can't really imagine how much it would change. Uh, well, someone changed so much. Um, it changed and it continues to change because I'm constantly having to re uh, reset what I'm able to do and not able to do. Like personally the relationship with my wife, for instance, we've had to change everything after 22 years. I mean, we were great communicators. We we're both communicators by trade and we, we could read each other's minds almost. And now I don't pick up on subtlety. So she'll say, Hey, the dishwasher needs emptied. And, and what I'll hear is the dishwasher needs emptied. Okay. She's asking me to unload the dishwasher, but I know that seems silly, but it's, I don't pick up on like just sort of half, asks and I don't pick up like it's, there's a, there's a disconnect in my brain uh, that doesn't know, especially if I'm going off on my pills, I, I can't absorb it. We actually have a rule that there's no open-ended questions after eight, after five o'clock. So uh, I, I may not be doing well for you, Ben. So I apologize. I apologize, <laughs> I, I apologize in advance for the open-ended questions. <laughs> I should have apologized 45 minutes ago, but it's been, it's been fascinating to No, the, Then um, also yeah. from a personal standpoint, I live day to day. Um, I, I don't make, I, you know, I, I choose to have things into the future that I'm looking forward to, but I also know that they could get canceled depending on how I feel. I could wake up one day and just not, I could be, I could, I, I, I get very nervous in crowds now where I never did before. I don't drive anymore because of my, 
my reaction rates are, are, are far enough apart that I'm afraid that I'm going to, every time I do drive, I drive periodically just in my neighborhood. Every time I drive a car, literally somebody honks at me and I don't know why. So I'm like, I don't belong on the road. And they feel like there's my own, who I am, who Mm -hmm. just knowing who I am, um, I can, I know what's declining and people are like, Oh, you look great. Yeah. But on the inside, I feel like I'm 90. I feel like I'm in a foreign body. I, it's like, it doesn't fit. It hurts. It's tight. It's, you know, there's never a day that goes by where you're like, Oh yeah, I feel great. When you look, with all the work you've done, do you feel like we're any closer now to a better place than we were when you were first diagnosed? Well, it's it's hard. Science is really slow and really expensive, um, and so it's you know there was there for a while there it was like we're five years away from a cure for the last thirty years. Um, I just looked on the Wikipedia page, and still today, if you go on the Wikipedia page for Parkinson's, there's an illustration of Parkinson's disease by Richard uh, William Richard Gowers that was first published in 1886. And of course, it's of an old man crouched over shaking. Like if there's anybody listening that knows how to change a picture on Wikipedia, we got to get that down and get the updated. We have updated pictures. We've tried to do it. We don't know how to do it because uh, Wikipedia has so many. But this this influences the everybody. Um, stuff like that. We need to change. We need to change how we talk about Parkinson's and how we, how we normalize, uh, brain disorders from ALS to MS to, to Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's because we're all dealing with one of those. I'm, I, I, everybody listening is dealing with one of those in their family right now, or at least a close friend, um, because they're pervasive. And they're not we always thought, I think, of Parkinson's as sort of an end-of-life disease, and it's not. No, no. And there's different types of Parkinson's, and they haven't really mm. figured out a, a coding system yet. But, like, you know, there's some people that don't – there's 30% of people with Parkinson's never have a tremor. A lot of people are diagnosed with Parkinson's through depression, which is a symptom, not a, not a reaction. Uh, anxiety, a symptom, not a reaction. Um, it, it could, I was diagnosed through my gait. Uh, so y- y- there's, there's lots of ways that people are, um, are, are seen. And so, and because everybody's so different, like if your gait, if your main symptom is gait, you, you may have a, you know, more similar path to other people that have a gait issue than people that have the trimmer issue or people who have, you know, um, extreme, um, you know, bladder issues, you know, all the, all the automatic sy- systems in your body become affected by this. Like I, I don't sleep at night in the same bedroom with my wife because I act out my dreams at night because my, my brain can't shut down my, uh, my body. Like everybody else gets paralyzed when they sleep. So they don't act out their dreams. I I'm punching people in the middle of the night. And if she happens to be in the way of my movements and she's going to, you know, she could get hit or hurt. I've, I've fallen out of bed more than times than I can count because your brain is still, your body's yeah, still, still working. Yeah. Yeah. It thinks I'm in a fight. So I'm fighting. And people with Parkinson's Larry's, have extremely yeah. vivid, violent dreams. I, I, again, there's so I've learned, I've learned so much and I was look, I was researching this before and I've learned more than I can tell you. 
this evening. I, I guess I have about another minute. Uh, if people want to know more, where can they go find out information? Well, there's a couple of websites. Uh, first off, a uh, good partner of the podcast is parkinson.ca, Parkinson Canada. Great resource, great people there. Uh, PD Avengers. Uh, anybody can be a PD Avenger. You don't have to have any connection to Parkinson's. You just have to not want Parkinson's to be around. Uh, we believe everybody has a superpower that they can bring to the table. And whatever you do well, uh, whatever comes natural to you, we could use your your effort. So, uh, and we don't raise money; we just raise awareness. So, uh, we we let the organizations raise the money and use that because they know how to best spend it. And then you can always go to worldparkinsonday.com. You can find the spark there and some really good information around Parkinson's disease. And of course, there's the When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast that I, again, highly recommend. Larry Gifford, it has been fascinating to have you on. I know you've had a very long day raising awareness about World Parkinson's Day, but thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with me and to, to let the, our audience know about, uh, about Parkinson's today. Well, have me back, Ben. I'll, I'll be happy to hang out anytime. <laughs> anytime. Thanks so much, Larry. Good night. Take care.